0: Hey everyone, it's Abadessi, your host of Product Hunt Radio, where I'm joined by the founders, investors, and makers that are shaping the future of tech. In this episode, I speak to Sylvain Kalash about how to access the best tech talent around the world. Sylvain is the co-founder of Holberton School, a two-year program with a peer learning and project-focused curriculum that trains full-stack engineers. They have campuses across the US, South America, and the Middle East. Before jumping into founder life, Sylvain was a DevOps engineer at SlideShare and was involved in the acquisition by LinkedIn. He reflects on what he's learned to offer us actionable advice about scaling startups and securing the best developers in a competitive landscape. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode of Product Talent Radio. As you know, this season we are focusing on real life maker stories and real techies in the industry doing everything we can to learn how they got to where they are and see what nuggets of wisdom we can take from their journeys. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Sylvain Kalash who is the founder of Holberton School. It's a two-year program that trains highly skilled, full-stack software engineers. And the best thing about it is they don't have to pay anything until they get a job. People who have graduated from Holberton School have gone on to work at some of the most renowned tech companies like Tesla and Apple. And I'm really excited to have Sylvain on the show today, sharing everything he's learned from building Holberton so that you can hopefully apply it in your lives. So Sylvain, welcome to the show. Thank you. Sylvain, where in the world are you right now?
1: I'm currently based in San Francisco, California.
0: Amazing. So is that Holberton School HQ?
1: Yes, that's where we started the company and welcomed our first cohort of students in in January of 2016. So it's been a few years now that we are are operating.
0: Yes. So before I go a bit deeper into Holberton School, what it's like behind the scenes and what you've got planned for the future, I'd love to just rewind a bit and hear a bit more about you and your background within the tech industry and what the chain of events led towards you wanting to found Holberton School.
1: Absolutely. So um, as a kid, I was moving a lot um, because of the work of, of my father, uh, moving, changing of city every two to three years. Um, and every time that meant I had to create a new social circle, which was um something complicated for me as I was quite shy and um you know my parents offered me a computer, and I kind of got hooked to that when it was time to to basically uh pick my degree um you know software was something on, that I had in mind uh actually at this time the co- the school counselor was saying that um software was a dead end that there were no job and no future for me uh, because it was oh, wow. yeah it was around you know the time when they were at the tech bubble and I thought it was yeah I thought it was completely wrong and and went this way. So I started in France uh my master and then uh moved uh while doing this master in computer science to China uh where I li- I lived for a year uh and then moved to to Silicon Valley uh where I, I finished my master and, and started my my professional life uh, so you know software has been in my life since you know about 10 um and then i grew my uh, academic life around that and then my professional life um, and why you know how this led to Holberton? um i would say that as a software engineer um, who worked in small companies startups and large companies Uh, but also I co-created with my co-founder a a network of uh, French and French-speaking software engineers that grew all over the world. We are basically suffering. We had a problem is that we could not find, um, you know, highly qualified talent. And and by having this issue, you know, we're like, well, we think we can can solve it.
0: That's amazing. So, when you first decided to start working on hall School, you were working in a full-time engineering job in Silicon Valley, is that right?
1: That's correct. So I, I was working um, during my master, but my first full-time job was at SlideShare, uh, which is like YouTube, but for PowerPoint, yeah. Um, I was a software engineer over there, and it was really tough to, to find talent, At that time, I was like, hey, you know, maybe it's because we are a small startup. At at the time, we are like 30 employees. Um, You know, we can't pay the big salaries that, you know, large corporations were going for. Um, You know, we didn't have like unlimited vacation or yoga on site or, you know, all the free food you may think of, all this type of thing, right, that big companies are, are offering. And we're like, oh, maybe that's why, you know. And then we got acquired by LinkedIn. Which you know, as you may know, is like much larger than 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 SlideShare. is one of like the the largest you know company in Silicon Valley, and you know we noticed the same issue. Um, it was very hard to find highly qualified talent, and so same like as a software engineer, you know I would do a lot of interviews, and one of the things that I noticed is that all like most of the folks I would interview were just right out of college. Uh, you know spent like nearly half a decade studying uh sometimes spent a fortune or took on like huge student loan uh to take on on, on this training on top of this they were all kind of looking like me like a white dude with a beard so we're like <laughs> this is kind of weird right and on top of this you know like they were not prepared to take on a job like you could see that you know they knew things but not the type of skills that uh, we you know as slideshare we as linkedin would need from from these people. And so I uh, was well, like, wait a second, like there is a training that you spend nearly half a decade. You you pay a lot. It only serve a fraction of American people and it doesn't really work. Like they got to do something that we can do better. Um, and so with my co-founder, uh, Julian Barbie we decided to quit our job and, and start Albertan.
0: This is incredible. Um, I think what you've identified is something that I hear a lot of people talking about particularly people who are in their teens, their 20s, their 30s, people who are working in tech, people who are doing jobs that didn't even exist five years ago, 10 years ago. And it's the fact that most education institutions that we're investing in and that we're sort of expected to go to and graduate from have not really caught up with the realities of the job market. And specifically within tech, they haven't really updated their curriculums to equip the people completing these courses with the actual skills and experience that they need to succeed in the industry. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. I I completely agree with you. I think it's in in two folds, um, actually, that you just mentioned. The first one is that the curriculum is out of date and out of sync. Uh, With the skills that are required right now by the industry, and I would say that the second fold is that, as you also mentioned, um, people constantly need to retrain and retool because the type of skills that professionals need is constantly changing. Um, Today, the World Economic Forum is speaking about the fourth industrial revolution, where the pace of change is accelerating. Um, and you know it means that, you know, the, the workforce also need to adapt to that. And I also think that our education is not preparing students to be ready for this change, you know, because they are relying on teachers to acquire education and once you are working, guess what? You have no teacher to give you the you know the solution to the exam and you need to be able to, to retrain retrain by yourself.
0: Yes, exactly. I think giving people the tools to learn is almost more powerful than giving them the knowledge itself, right? And I guess that's that's what you're speaking to. So you've had these experiences working in engineering teams. You saw the fact that a lot of the people applying to these opportunities had spent so much time at university, spent a lot of money, uh, probably got into debt to complete their degrees. And now here they arrive full of ambition, but they're actually not necessarily equipped with all the information that they need to hit the ground running um, or just excel in this engineering role. And that's where you see an opportunity to build hall School. When you and your co-founder first decided that you were going to quit your jobs and start solving this problem, were you thinking, okay, let's go raise some funding? Like, How did you approach it? What, did you think, let's try to create an MVP? When you had the idea, what happened next?
1: So basically, we were uh, constantly doing side projects um, with, with my co-founder. And by, by being deep in the community, we understood that this problem is not only Silicon Valley. Um, you know, I spoke about this, this network of, of software engineers uh, that grew to 40 cities in the world, uh, anywhere from Japan to the west coast of the US and everything is in between. And, you know, we would talk with the manager of the local communities, and we would hear the same feedback. We can't find talent. So we were really experiencing the problem from the point of view of, you know, the local industry in Silicon Valley, but we're also experiencing at a, the at a global scale. And so I think, you know, it was like a year and a half or two years that we were thinking about, hey, like there's they got to be something to do here. You know, it's not possible that, you know, with a, the five-year education, you You can't read this and it's not possible that basically you cannot find a way to better prepare students to enter the workforce. And so we started with other projects. Actually, we started with another project that's uh, called Take Me Abroad. Uh, That's something that's online, actually, um, that's connecting companies that are willing to hire talent in other countries with people who are willing to move to another country to work. Yeah, so we built this kind of on the side and then we're like, well, that's cool, but that's not actually solving the issue because you are moving talent from one location where it's hard to find to another location where it's also hard to find. So we are like, okay, um, that's good, but that's that's not that's not what's, what's going to work. So what we did is that we quitted our job and at the same time, we were talking with, with investors who we knew um, and basically they were like, okay, like, we'll invest in your company because we, we believe in your team. So this was in 2015. Um, I, I left in May of 2015. Then we fundraise, you know, in the, in the next few months that came. And then from, let's say we really started working on, on, on the school in like September uh september october we had to find the location we had to prepare the space you know to welcome the students we are o- offline school right we had to build a website well we had to build um the the marketing and you know acquire the students build the application process build the curriculum uh it was a ride i can tell you uh like very like several very intense months and then in in january of of 2016, uh, we welcomed our first cohort of Saudi students in San Francisco. Wow!
0: So, um, <laughs> 2015 was quite a crazy year for you then—quitting <laughs> your job, building a company from scratch, and also fundraising. And now you mentioned that you and your co-founder um, were able to meet some investors that really invested off the basis of you and your background, and you know your commitment to the problem. Was that? period quite daunting for you and your co-founder you obviously have this really grand vision of you know disrupting education and transforming the engineering talent pool were you worried that you might not necessarily find investors who understood the vision or who empathized with the problem that you wanted to solve?
1: Yeah I think education and especially offline education is definitely something that you know, is not something that you see a lot in the valley, right? Like, and and we've definitely uh, it roadblocks with that for our fundraising. Not for the first round, because, like, to be honest, like we race based on, on track record, you know, of of how we were as professionals, and and VC investing in us. And you know, that's why like a huge part of Alberton is like, yes, we are a school, but also we are a community. And the power of, like, who you know and the power of, like, you know, being seen as, like, an established professional is, like, very valuable in so many situations. And fundraising is one of them. Um, and, and your your network matters a lot.
0: Yeah, that's, that's so interesting. And I guess, like, what's important to remember about that is not only the value that being a part of a community can signify about us as an individual, but also the power of a community to give us information that isn't always available or understand more about a situation that isn't always transparent, right? So I'm thinking about that, let's say, as a woman in tech or as a woman of color in tech. Of course, I can find out everything I want to know about a company based on their company page or their social media feeds maybe even I'll go on Glassdoor I don't know but if I really want to know what it would be like to work there as someone with my identity and my background being a part of communities where other people like me exist gives me the opportunity to access information that's really valuable to me maybe not so important to others um, but I can probably only access by being a part of that community
1: you know what I mean yeah absolutely I mean and also like being part of the community is not only receiving, but also giving. And the fact that, that you know, we gave a lot through all the side projects that we did before, uh, you know, like Take Me Abroad and this network of engineers, which is named Y42. We gave a lot, as much as we could, and not expecting something in return, but, you know, obviously it works both way. There is the a number of times that What I invested, you know, in giving to people, I got it back, Um, you know, whether it was when I was working for LinkedIn or now with Holberton. So the power of community is something that, you know, we find in in Holberton but also in the the methodology, the learning methodology itself, uh, where students are, you know, pushed to work in groups and where helping is not cheating, but helping is collaboration, um so I think you know like that's really at, at the core of who we are as individual, but ultimately translated to what Holberton is, you know, as a as a product.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. Um what I find super inspiring about you and your story is that it has so many parallels with other, you know, indie hackers and indie makers and techies that I see um and I follow on social media. You know, there are folks out there who are working a full-time job and while they're working a full-time job are also launching a bunch of different side projects that speak to their passions or help them uh, explore some other part of the world that they're really interested in, that they don't get to in their day-to-day work. But also that parallel around the power of community. You built communities before you built Holbert in School, exactly as you said, and now you're building another one with your students, which I think is incredible. I want to rewind again sort of, to 2015 when you had to build your first you know, education system from scratch, getting ready for your first cohort of people. You already mentioned how this was born out of what you had experienced hiring into engineering teams and speaking to other people who were looking for engineering talent. How did you approach the process of designing a curriculum for Holberton School?
1: Yeah, that's a a very good question. And obviously the curriculum for a school is essential And the way we went about it was that we rely once again on the community. Um, You know, I think that one person can be wrong, two person can be wrong, but it's very hard to, you know, have like maybe 30 or 40, 50 people to be wrong. So what we did is that we um, reached out to our community who, you know, a lot of them were, you know, are software engineers, or hiring managers, CTOs. Um, and we went to them and we were like, okay, what do you think it takes um, to to have a great software engineer? You know, what type of skills, hard skills, uh, soft skills, uh, what type of tools and concept? And basically, we spent, um, you know, weeks to talk with a lot of people and then come up with a summary f- for each of the track of our curriculum. And that's still how we are doing uh, things today. You know, we, we talk with professionals and basically we make sure that, One, our curriculum is always up to date. And second, that what we're creating is is, uh, suited for the tech industry.
0: Amazing. I love that you just went to the source and you're like what do you want? What do you want your engineers to know about? I mean, it seems quite obvious, but I mean, I don't really feel like schools or universities do that. So that is that's super cool. Would you say then that your curriculum is like quite dynamic as opposed to static and that it's it's evolving? Like it's probably changed now it's 2019, this was 2015. Yeah, how do you do that?
1: Yes, so actually we had a huge iteration from the first cohort to the second cohort um, because, you know, we built something and then we are like, well, it looks it's working because our students were finding jobs and internships at companies like NASA and Dropbox, Apple, Docker, and so on. But obviously it was not perfect, right? <laughs> this time we obviously listened to companies. Once they started to hire our students, what do you think? What's missing? But also we, were, we asked our students, what did you like? Why did you like? Right, and 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 took this into in, in consideration, and that was like the 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 biggest iteration that we've done on the product. That being said, obviously our product is constantly changing, and actually from one cohort to the other, and we have a new start date every three to four months, the curriculum is gonna change uh, because you know in the meantime things have changed in the tech industry. We've, you know, taken feedback from students and from employers. And so, and so you know, we, we, we keep iterating on that. If you take a very, 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 you know, like kind of like long-term vision, Holberton School at some point is not going to train software engineers in some ways, right? Because the, the work of software engineering in some ways is going to be replaced, you know, some part of it by like AI or, you know, whatever machine learning, whatever it is, right? And so in that sense, like, We also understand that we, you know, we will evolve up to what the, you know, at the same reason as the the workforce, you know, needs like the development of, of the companies. And so that's constant work in progress.
0: The question for any business owner out there is, are you confident that you've got the right numbers at your fingertips? Serious entrepreneurs and finance teams run on NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite offers a full picture of all your finances, all in one place, in real time, right from your phone or your desktop. No more guessing, no more worry that what you don't know could kill your company. That's why NetSuite customers grow three times faster than the S&P 500, and you can too. Schedule your free demo right now and receive their free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com slash product hunt. Set up your free demo and get your free guide today at netsuite.com slash product hunt. That's netsuite.com slash product hunt. If you're working on a startup or even just thinking about it, check out the new audio course, Launch a Startup, Only on Knowable. You'll hear founders like Reddit's Alexis Ohanian and Everlane's Michael Praisman, plus a whole team of business experts teach lessons on business planning, product development, fundraising, and everything else you need to know to get your startup going. The best part? You'll get $1,000 in AWS credits just for enrolling. Pretty sweet deal. Start listening today on the Knowable app or at knowable.fyi. That's knowable.fyi. Product Hunt radio listeners get 20% off with the code LAUNCH at checkout. That's incredible. Yeah, it is quite terrifying sometimes, I think, to think of how quickly the tech industry will transform. Sometimes I'm impatient. I'm like, I just want to know now what's it going to look like. And I know the world doesn't work like that. But um, I think that's a really good point. And I think it's great that you have uh, those feedback loops in place where it's not just you as a leadership team dictating how the curriculum will change, but rather hearing from the folks who've been through the process, to hear about that um, and learn about what could be better. I thought it could be really interesting, you know, in the product hunt community, we've got makers all across the world at various stages of their journey. They might be students, they might be working, they might be Doing side projects, weekend projects. They might be working full time on their projects. Some are bootstrapping. Some are pursuing funding. Some have got funding. But at some point in time, they'll reach a certain stage, as you did a few years ago, where they're going to have to build a team. It's not just them anymore or them and their co founder. They need people, whether that's the instructors in your case or the people behind the scenes keeping everything going. How did you approach finding those first early hires. And do you feel there's any insight you can share to that process that you bear in mind in the future when you're like hiring again?
1: Yeah, sure. So a small parenthesis before I start on answering. We have actually no no teacher and no instructor. Um yeah, so it's it's we have staff on site um, you know, we have one software engineer that can help students. But the education is software driven meaning that we can, you know, scale easily because usually the the issue that schools are facing is that it's very hard to find a good teacher. It's very hard to find a good software engineer. So imagine how hard it is to find a a good teacher with also a good software engineer who, by the way, may want to be underpaid because it's education, um, right? And then how do you, if you want to open more campuses, how do you find the same great, Teacher and software engineer, et etc. So it's it's something that you know we replaced with with a software and community. So we still have staff, and and what, like the, the how we started, and, and I think the most important thing, uh, especially for people who are uh, getting started on on their journey, you know, to build their product, um, and you know, most of your audience is like fairly early stage. I think you need to look, you need to look at people who are passionate. Uh, as passionate as you, because you know, as you may know, if you are a builder and maker in, in the early stage, it's it's a lot of work, it's a lot of time, it's a lot of energy, and you know, your audience is pre- pretty much people who are passionate about what they are doing, and that's that's what's driving them most of the time. You know, there is no. Sometimes it's the products are for free, or maybe they might make money at at some point, but maybe not, and even if it is, it might be long like down the road, and so. For your team, it's the same. Like most of the time, you won't be able to offer the same comfort of life, like salaries and perks, and and you need to work with people who are in for the, because they they believe in the vision, they believe in the product, or they just want to have fun, you know, with you whatever it is that you are building. But I think the will and the grit and and the the motivation of 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 your team is just essential, and that's something that. Uh, you know, when you pick your your first employee or contributor, you should really uh, understand and make sure that they are all aligned on that. Otherwise, it's not going to go well.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. I just wonder, like to that point, um, you everything you say, I definitely have found to be the case. People who are really motivated, people who are very passionate, especially in the early stages, will be the best to adapt to the inevitable changes and uncertainties that come with startup life, do you feel that there are any indicators of of motivation and passion? Because of course, there are like so many different types of personalities, so many different education backgrounds and identities. For me, what I find is, people who have shown conviction about something consistently throughout their life, that often is like a mark of passion. It might not even be something related to work. They might just be really into cooking, for example, like one of the guys on my team, like he's just really, really passionate about that. And throughout his life, he's always found a way to make time for it. That for me is like an indicator of passion because I was like, you you've been able to pursue something you care deeply about, even when it hasn't been the thing that pays your bills. I just wonder if there are any other markers of motivation that you have witnessed or you have seen that you can share with our listeners?
1: I would say that because we are a small organization, uh, you know, there is all the, all the time one of the founder, you know, that is able to uh, connect with the people that we are hiring. And in that sense, you know, I think with a quick conversation, you can understand if this person is coming because it's just a job or because they truly believe in, in the mission of the company um you know if they are if that if they are, have done their research like read the website you know like like simple thing um that and it's 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 fairly easy like that being said when your organization is growing larger and you know when i take the example of for instance linkedin you know i think to a certain degree it's oh, it's harder right like the founder cannot have, cannot have this discussion and I, I, linkedin might be a large example but when you are growing you may not be able to look for this like same passion and motivation that you could with early stage employees. So one thing we were using, I think it's similar to what you just mentioned, but was like, hey, like if, if, for instance, we wanted to look for software engineer, do you have side projects? Like, are you working on something on the side? You know that, you know, like keeps you awake at night. Uh, as you said, like, are you writing a blog? Do you have like something that you share on GitHub? Uh, you know these extra things. That show like this this sparkle of, of uh, motivation and the type of individual at least that we were looking for and I believe like builders you know need on their team. Um, so I, I think it's it it stick to the cooking thing you know, I'm very into something, um, but we are playing this to like a more technical concept.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think you're so right. Just asking for evidence, right? That's that's really what it comes down to. It's so easy to say, I'm passionate about. X, Y, Z or whatever. Um, But where's the evidence for that? And I think to your point, you know, blogging, um, working on side projects, building apps, going to hackathons, whatever it is, that's the evidence that you really do care about this and you're not just talking about it. And I think that's helpful advice even for people who are looking for jobs because that's something that you can go out and action right away. So thanks for reminding us of that and for sharing that. I wanted to now talk a bit about Holberton's geographical reach. So you said you had your first cohort launch in January 2016 uh, in San Francisco. Talk to us about all the campuses that exist now and what the strategy was and the rationale behind having all of these locations.
1: Absolutely. So the mission of Holberton is to provide a high quality education to the many. So we Want like really top-notch education, and I think we've reached this where the starting salary of our students is about the same as you know Ivy League institution, like people who go to Stanford, Yale, grade Berkeley, MIT. So you know the quality is here, and we focused on that for the the first few years of the company, uh, really focusing on quality, 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 maintaining it, increasing it, Um, and then. Once we had the quality, we wanted to work on the second part of the mission, uh, which was accessibility, make it accessible to the many. As you mentioned, the school is free until students find a job um, that pays above a certain amount. Um, So basically, we want to remove the financial barrier. The admission process is also completely blind, um, blind and automated, uh, meaning that we don't know who you are uh, until, you know, the candidate is accepted or not. Um, And the selection process is based uh, only on motivation. um, And we are not looking at, uh, you know, candidate past professional experience or or past uh, like academic background because it doesn't really matter to us. So, you know, really wanted to remove as, as many barriers. One of them is also the fact that many students do not feel that they belong to the tech industry, you know, because of, you know, how they look, you know, like the ethnicity, gender, age, or where they grew up. Um, And so we are working with uh, celebrities who can, um, you know, basically talk to this underserved community and be like, hey, like, have you thought about becoming a software engineer? Amazing. Right, because you know what, like, One, we need you. Two, there is a lot of jobs. And three, look, there is, Holberton is one of the other opportunities right? But there is Holberton. And well, guess what? You could get in. That works very well, actually. We are working with Neo. He's an R&B singer. I love Neo. (laughs) We love him too. Great guy. We have him on the board of trustees for like over a year now. And since he joined the uh, the percentage of uh, black african American students at holberton has more than double wow yes it's it just amazing, especially considering the the current uh, you know percentage in the tech industry that's like a few percent like oh yeah single, dis-
0: single digits. it's yeah.
1: hor- horrendous really exactly and and it's compared to what the u s population is uh, which uh, about eleven to twelve percent of the population is black african american so ultimately as a, as a school we want our student population to be a good representation of what is local demographic, right? So we did this in San Francisco and then we we're like, that's great. Um, but well, then, you know, it's only limited to, uh, it only has a local impact. It can only serve as uh, the local population. And so we were like, okay, next step to make this edu- education more accessible is to open other campuses. And again, because we have no formal teacher and the quality of our education is based on this methodology and this software that we use, it's very easy for us to, you know, go to another location, just have a campus and then our software, bring our software and then you get the same Silicon Valley grade education that, you know, we offer in Silicon Valley. As of today, we have uh, six campuses. We have uh, more coming up um, in the U.S., Uh, We have a a third one um, opening in January in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, where there we will also offer no upfront tuition education, but also living stipend. So for cost of living, uh, we have three campuses in Colombia and one in, in North Africa, in Tunisia.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, I really... I really appreciate the fact that you acknowledge there are barriers to access, even with the best intentioned products, even with the best intentioned products, there's always going to be some barrier. That's just the reality, right? And that's also, you know, capitalism. Like we are constrained by our location. We are constrained by how much money is in our bank account right now. and. Acknowledging that and trying to design a solution to combat that uh, uh, increase access is really the only way. Um, so I think it's cool that you did that even with your own physical spaces, you know, going to Colombia, you're in Tunisia as well. And If there's anything that we know to be true about talent is that it's everywhere. (laughs) Access to education, access to opportunities, sadly, is very much restricted to more privileged parts of the world. But the actual talent is, is, is everywhere and creating opportunities for tech companies to access talent from parts of the world that they may not otherwise get a chance to is amazing for the types of products that, you know, me as an individual, I'm going to get to use. I'm feeling very positive about that. But then I guess also just in terms of like social impact for the individuals who wouldn't otherwise have had that opportunity to now, you know, get a six-figure salary and the value and reinvest that income into their family and their local ecosystem, I think is really exciting. So do you think then that you'll always – try to maintain that balance of having campuses, you know, in the U S but then also in more emerging markets.
1: I think, I think we really want to go where there is the most need. Emerging markets are generally where there is the most need because um, you have the people, as you said, who, you know, want a better life. Um, They want to get a high paying job. Uh, And on the other side, you have these companies. uh, And by the way, sure, tech companies are hiring software engineers, but in our world today, any company is becoming a tech company. You know, it's like back then when there were no electricity, like maybe you could have, said, oh, there is this like electricity business and this non-electricity business. Today it's like, you know, like, It's like some companies are tech, but the one who are not, either they are becoming, either they are going to die. Like even a non-tech company, right? Healthcare, transportation, retail, media, like you name it, they all need software engineers. And so again, like, so in emerging like market, generally you have like the population with like, I I want a job. I want a good life for me or my family in this company that wants talent. And then the missing piece is education, right? That's truly the missing piece. In our society today, education hasn't evolved in centuries, right? And our world has like drastically changed. And so we think that Holberton is part of the solution. As you said, you know, we are not the silver bullet. Uh, there are many things that makes Holberton great and very accessible. There are other things that makes it not accessible to some people, right? And we are aware of this and we are always trying to increase accessibility. Uh, but... You know, we think that um, obviously the the route for Holberton and the future of Holberton is definitely in, in emerging markets because, as you said, like talent is definitely everywhere, and our world is global, and it's just a matter of you know distributing this this uh, high quality education and giving access to a better life for people and also uh, boosting the local economy. Um And helping community to to grow,
0: yeah, I love that. Thank you so much. One of the things I really wanted to talk to you about, which you touched on um earlier, is uh like representation and particularly like representation amongst your student body. So when I was researching for this interview, I saw that um of Holberton students, almost fifty percent are women. I think forty percent was the stat I found on your website, and fifty percent are people of color. Which, if you look at the status quo in the tech industry, is incredibly diverse. I think it's like um, the tech industry is still not even up to 20% women and definitely not 50% POC, um, certainly not in the UK where I live um, or the US where I also spend some time working. So I just wonder why do you think you've been able to? Reach a level of representation, which is quite enviable, really. Lots of companies and education institutions are struggling to get there. Why do you think Holberton's been able to do it?
1: Well, because we we saw that uh, we thought about accessibility and therefore diversity from from day zero. You know, it was not something that oh shoot, we got like a PR uh, you know PR disaster. People are criticizing us or oh, look, we look bad because we have no diversity. No, like that's something we, we thought about from, from the first day of the company. Uh, actually, Holberton come from Betty Holberton, one of the first women software engineer. The story is quite interesting. She wanted to, to become a scientist and she studied a master in science and, and the math teacher was always telling her, hey, Betty, you are a woman, you should be home taking care of children and cooking. Oh, gosh. Yes. Oh, no. Um, so eventually she quit. Uh, she became a journalist. And years down the road, uh, she got hired by the U.S. Army to work on the first programmable computer, which is uh, the INIAC, along actually with Grace Hopper, uh, which is much more famous. Um, and she contributed to uh, develop the first programming languages, among which is Fortran. So, you know, like she got discriminated, but ultimately the destiny caught up and, you know, she became one of the the first software engineer. All of this to say that Holberton comes from that. And then everything we do about Holberton communication, we do it with a a strong intent of being uh, inclusive and not exclusive. So, you know, we avoid like, you know, black and and white, uh, you know, color, like very dark colors. Uh, We avoid like geeky or nerdy kind of design of of, uh, our atmosphere because, you know, someone who doesn't like Star Wars or Star Trek might think they don't belong, (laughs) right? Like, (laughs) well, I don't know Star Trek. I cannot be a software engineer. Well, no. (laughs) So we are really careful about, you know, the look and feel of the website, of the communication, even of our space. If you are living close to the Holberton School, I invite you to visit the campus. You know, there's a lot of color, warm color. We take this seriously, you know, that's why we have a board of trustees, board of trustees that is basically making sure that the two elements of our mission are being well fulfilled. The first one is equality, right? So we we work with uh, industry leaders, visionaries. Uh, We make sure that, you know, we are going in the right direction, but we are also working um, with celebrities. We have a voice uh, and can reach out to these underserved demographics. Um, so, for instance, we are working with Priyanka Chopra; uh, she's an actress, uh, an activist, and we are working, as I mentioned, with, with the R&B singer Neo. And so, you know, we, we've been able to make waves. That being said, it, it's it's a struggle, it's a fight, and um, you know, it's not uh, alone that will solve it. It's going to take a generation. You know the number for women is like going down as we are you know we are reaching a scale and we are not at 40 percent anymore because statistically you know uh, we are going against like the trend you know of our society uh, doesn't mean that we are giving up and our goal is to reach 50 percent of women which roughly 50 percent which would be like a, basically a um, good representation of our, our actual population.
0: That's incredible. I just, when I hear founders like you talk about making a representation a priority from day zero, as you said, it, it sounds very easy. But at the same time, it is definitely not an early priority for others I remember just literally the other day in an interview with Andrew Mason, who was the founder of Groupon and Detour and now Descript. He's just raised uh, Series A in September 2019. And he said how he is thinking about people policies as he's scaling his team? How can he make sure compensation is fair? How can he make sure all types of people are equally equipped to succeed and, and are receiving fair treatment? And when he's been approaching consultancies and experts, a lot of them have said, oh, you're thinking about this quite early for a tech company. And that is our status quo. And I just think we really need to do better if that's our status quo. you know. And I just wonder, in your case you know, you did spend a lot of your life traveling to different places. Do you think that maybe you just became accustomed to, you know, different the value of differences? And maybe that's why it feels so obvious to you, whereas someone who maybe could be exactly like you, but was like born and raised in a lovely arrondissement of Paris, wouldn't necessarily understand as much. I'm just curious, do you think that could be a part of it?
1: Absolutely. I think personally, you know, I'm craving difference and new culture and I'm craving to discover how other people may think about the world or, you know, what their culture or or custom. Actually, when I went to China, it was most of the most life changing experience for me because, you know, I moved like more than 10 times in France, as I mentioned, during my childhood. But going to China meant that I could not speak. I could not Order a freaking thing at the restaurant because I didn't (laughs) know the menu, right? And then I didn't know how to behave, how to be polite. You know, I saw people like spitting in the restaurant and I was like, what the hell? And then (laughs) there was no concept of a line, you know, like it was whoever was, yeah, fell to the (laughs) counter. And then I was, my my senses were constantly stimulated. And I think that it's all about being exposed to, to you know differences, and and then being able to put yourself in the shoes of the other person, and be like, hey, like you know, my vision of the world, my vision of the thing, is one of like so many you know different ones. And then, but once you can do this, it's it's great because you can understand that each of the different vision can can bring value. And I think you know, like when we speak about diversity in business, sure, it's a so- social imperative. And, you know, I truly believe in this. And I think as a society, a civilized society, you know, we we, we owe that, uh, you know, to to us, you know, to, to our people. But also if, you know, if you just, you know, you say we're in a capitalist world, and yes, that is, that is so true. And you also need to consider that, is that diversity is also bringing value to your business, right? Because if you are building a product, a tool, whatever it is, chances are that it serves a large variety of individuals, right? Different age, gender, ethnicity, walks of life, nationality, you name it. And so if your team is not as diverse as your customers, there are, you know, chances that you are not serving them well or not serving them at all, right? And so not only your product might, you know, lack of of, like features or like small things uh but also a diverse team we come with different way of thinking uh you know perform better and that's just been proven so i think diversity is is one great you know for our society but it's it's also great for whatever product you are building
0: agree i couldn't have put it better myself thank you so much cinema so for anyone who's listening and wants to find out more about Holberton school where should they go
1: so they can go on, on Twitter. You know, I'm sure a lot of your, uh, committees, uh, <laughs> Twitter hardcore. Uh, so we are over there. Um, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, myself a big, a big Twitter fan. Uh, so you can, uh, find me at Sylvain Kalash. but also you can go on our website, uh, holbertonschool.com. And because we are a physical school, uh, if you happen to be close to one of our campus, reach out to them and, you know, you will be more than welcome to, to tour the space and understand how an education without teacher and lecturer can work.
0: <laughs> Incredible. I'm definitely curious. Are you coming to London anytime soon?
1: London is in the pipe. Woo-hoo! Stay tuned. <laughs> All right.
0: Awesome. Wonderful. Sylvain, thank you so much for being on Product Hunt Radio.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into Product Hunt Radio. I've got a favor to ask you. Will you take a minute to review us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to us right now? Thank you.
1: Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, share the podcast with your friends on Twitter and tag a guest you'd like to hear in a future episode. See you soon.